Hi, welcome back to another episode of Cycling Talk Podcast with me, Georgia Mahoney. Today I'm joined by former world champion, creator of and rider for Timo Racing, Tracy Mosley. Tracy has helped and supported so many incredible young riders to achieve their dreams and she has also achieved so much herself and has had an incredible impact in the development of female cycling, not just in the UK, but across the world. I've always known about Tracy's achievements, but it wasn't until I did my questions research that I realised how many achievements she's had and is still having. Thank you so much to Tracy for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for joining me today, Tracy. No worries, really, really cool to have me on. Looking forward to chatting. What's your first memory of being on a bike? Um, I think just, I grew up on a dairy farm and I have an older brother, uh, two years old, Ed. And I just remember growing up riding bikes with him. Just, he was challenging me to try and ride long logs and up over bricks and just playing on bikes as kids around the farm and in the local woods. Um, and just, yeah, hanging out with boys and riding bikes was, was really, really good fun. And what's the first bike that you remember being really excited about? Um, I think the first kind of proper mountain bike my parents bought me was um, probably when I was about 14. And we we had previous kind of mountain bikes from friends that we bought just from a friend's bike shop. But the proper first one was actually bizarrely a Trek, um, a Trek 950, which at the time was like quite a nice cross-country bike, fully rigid, mm. toe-clipped, all those things that you won't even heard about. Um, <laughs> but that was the first bike I had and I ended up trying to race downhill on that thing. So things have changed quite a bit since that. But that was the first kind of proper bike that I remember mum and dad spending probably £250 on. But at the time, like, that was an expensive bike to have. So pretty cool. Were you part of a local club? Yeah, so we kind of got into riding through my brother. He was who joined the club, which has now kind of become more than cyclosport, but it was called Cyclosport Midlands back then. Um, and it was just the local guys that used to ride in the Malvern Hills, where I'm from. Um, and they started going to a few local cross-country races, and that's kind of how I started following my brother to races. And how did you get into racing, and what was your first race? Um, first race was actually at home on mum and dad's farm. We had a little local kind of cross-country race there. Um, it was cross-country, and I was, at that point, very much not a fan of going uphill. I'm still not particularly now, but I just you know, I know I have to, to be able to go back down the other side. Um, and then... Probably not long after that, there was, um, was a big bike festival at the Mulvans, Mulvan Hills Classic, it was called. It's been kind of, it's refound itself the last few years. It's been another festival, but this was back in the early 90s. And that was when there was dual slalom and um, all sorts of things um, going on there, which enabled me to kind of enjoy that gravity side of things, which was really cool. What sort of riding and training did you do when you started to get into racing a bit more? Um... So very much the early days was all downhill racing. Um, as I said before, I, I really was a lazy, not lazy kid because I had loads of school sports, but I had no enjoyment with pedaling bikes uphill. So I would kind of push up to the top and ride down. It was all about having fun on the downhill. So all my riding in the early days was very much kind of on the jump bike or on a downhill bike um, with very, very little specific training or very little, to, none really, to be honest. It was just playing on bikes and, and riding and racing downhill was very much the early days for me. And which disciplines did you ride? Um, so I started the downhill, mm. um, raced downhill until 
2011 um, and then switched to enduro from kind of 2012 until, well, 2016 when I retired from that. Um, and then I dabbled with a little bit of cross country just for training, really, for purposes more than anything um, when I started racing enduro, really. So the, the latter years. Um, and I've done a little bit of cyclocross. Again, nothing, I wouldn't say, you know, it's all just, I just love riding bikes. I don't really feel like we, you should be limited to just one, that they kind of all complement each other in some way as well. So um, had a little bit of go of things, just never raced on the road and have no interest in road racing, I have to say. I'm much more of an off road, but I like riding my road bike and it's really, really good training. It's lots of benefits, but I definitely have no desire to ever do a road race. <laughs> Can you tell me about your first national race? Um, I think my first one would have been 1995 and it was in Sheffield. So in actually the woods that now Steve Peake kind of has all this, or the, the Warncliffe woods that are renowned for being Steve's kind of home trails, I guess. Um, and that was, I remember my dad driving me up there or it was like a two hour drive to Sheffield to do and race down what would be now like a, a fire road, basically. Um and that was the first time I remember being like super nervous because I'd never done a national, didn't know anybody, me and dad in the car going to race my bike. <laughs> so yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that would be my first memory, I think. I know that you quickly progressed onto racing internationally after your first national win. What was your first international race like? Um, really cool, actually. It was got the chance to go to France um, and race. I think we were en route to the European championships would probably be in 95 I think you probably had to check me on my dates but I think it was 95 um and we I got to do like a, a French cup I guess it would have been at the, at the time and it was the first time I'd ever kind of really gone overseas we didn't do have many like overseas holidays as a family because mum and dad were farmers so we never went anywhere and um so like you know driving out to France and riding in it was a place called Les Manuis in the Alps it was just amazing like being on a ski lift having a, a mountainside to race down and I also got to race at the time like some of the best red riders in the world and people I looked up to so and Caroline Chausson who was one of the most dominant French downhill champions for many years was racing at that race and I got to race her and it was quite cool that kind of like <laughs> your starstruck with your landedness me kind of going and racing these people that I'd only ever seen like it was it was a really really cool experience and made me I think fall in love with the mountains quite quickly but I could ride my bike for like eight minutes downhill not just a one minute downhill in the UK so yeah. cool experience. When was the first time that you became national champion? Um, I think again it'll be 95 or 96 and I remember if I'm right in saying this could be wrong but I remember winning the race but I wasn't allowed to have the jersey or the medal or something because I hadn't got a license maybe something around that kind of oh, memories man. of some rules and politics that you get with all the joys of those things um mm -hmm. but it would have been as, as a junior junior downhill rider um so yeah quite some time ago in 1997 you did the junior downhill world champs in switzerland and finished second talk me through your run yeah so that's quite a, i guess a kind of pivotal moment I guess in many ways because I was so frustrated to have not won not that you know we all want to win but I guess I've always been fiercely competitive and the world champs was even at that young age was something massive and amazing to win um and the thing that made it more annoying was the fact that I'd crashed literally within sight of the finish line um and got held up by a, a slower rider in front so I yeah. kind of felt like it had been 
like I didn't get a chance to give my best race run. So I think that was the most frustrating thing for me, but it was definitely the fuel for kind of the fire for me to wanting to, to get a chance to try and win a world championships again. Um, and it was a very, very long time from then until 2010 <laughs> that I finally did. But it was definitely a fire that was kind of just ignited then, I think, and burnt for quite some time, making me keep going back year after year to try and try and win it. I know you did a degree in biology. How did you manage this around a busy racing calendar? I think at the time, racing didn't really still seem like it was going to be a, a career. It was just something that I enjoyed doing. I was I was good at. And there was maybe an opportunity to, to do it for a few more years, but there was no way at that point I thought, wow, I'm going to still be involved in bikes, you know, 20 plus years later. So yeah. I think for me, it was like, I enjoyed school. I enjoyed learning. I felt like it was the, the natural thing to go and do. Um, and I always felt like, you know, if the riding doesn't work out, then at least I've got something to kind of fall back on. And um, and I think as well for me, I I did enjoy learning. I think it's also important to have other stuff going on. I think it's very easy to get so focused on one thing. Yeah. early on in life and I actually think it teaches you to be able to manage your time even better you think you can become a better racer and a better person by by having kind of to juggle things I think it gives you the discipline and teaches you a lot of time time control and uh, time management I should say so yeah it just seemed like the natural thing for me to do. Where did you train when you were sort of a junior rider? Um, so a lot of riding, certainly for downhill, was we ended up having to travel a lot because there was no real downhill tracks. I'd obviously if there's riding close to me on Malvern Hills, but it's not specific bike trails in any way. It's just it's just a hill with bridleways on. Um, so Ludlow um, and around that kind of Shropshire area was within an hour from where I live, and some uh, South Wales. There's quite a few kind of forests around there that had downhill tracks at the time. So we used to go and you know, push up and do downhill practice there a few local jump spots where they had dirt jumps we'd go and train there um and those are the kind of places that we, we'd go and just have fun playing on bikes really that were but all within driving from from home so it was quite hard to often racing to be honest was the best way to ride my downhill bike and I think that's why in some ways we were so successful as a or we are so successful is because there wasn't many places to ride bikes back then there wasn't bike parks there wasn't all the seven stains there wasn't all these trail centers and actually races were the most accessible place to, to get to race ride your bike so racing every weekend is what we did who supported you to get to these races so my brother was definitely a massive support not only like someone to follow and help me with lines on my butt on, on the course he also helped did my mechanics on my bike um, and both mum and dad were massively supportive they could never both come because someone had to stay at home and milk the cows but um, one or the other turn, I took it in turns and would drive us all over the country with our caravan. We used to camp up at the races and it was a really, really cool family time. And mum and dad, you know, we met so many other families that we still are friends with now for all these years later. So they thoroughly enjoyed getting away and it made them see something different than just just farming. And it allowed them to travel and, and actually see a little bit of the world as well in later years, which was cool. So you were about 15 when downhill started to come out in the UK. What was it like for you as you moved from junior to pro, being able to watch the sport grow? Oh, I mean, it's been an amazing transition, really. Not only just in in bikes, in terms of equipment. You know, the first kind of bike that I was riding on, said before, was like a what you wouldn't even ride a cross country ride on now. To see that change, um, also to see the kind of, in some ways, the professionalism has changed a lot as well I think in the early years downhill was so, so huge in the US and it was not so big in Europe 
really. And there was loads of big kind of lots of money to be made from television and Eurosport and lots of coverage. And that's kind of gone through like a, 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 a wave almost. It's, it got worse for a few years and now then back with Red Bull TV, it's kind of coming back. So it's, it's been so many kind of changes and curveballs, I guess, within the, within the sport. And we've seen, you know, the number of women racing, I think was really, really big when I first started racing and it's declined again. Um, and hopefully it's, and not so much with downhill, but in general, we're seeing that the growth of women riding bikes is, is huge and just the popularity as well. So it's been a really cool kind of, yeah, thing to kind of see, watch and grow. And it's still, it's still changing. We're still seeing new developments. We're seeing the e-bikes. We're seeing different forms of racing, different disciplines. The enduro came along. It's, it's forever evolving and technologies driving that a lot of the time as well, I think, in, in how we're changing the bikes and how we're using them. How did the equipment and the bikes change in the first few years of your racing? Um, the biggest things were definitely having specific downhill bikes. So bikes with suspension front and rear, which was, you know, seems crazy to think that that was not available then. But yeah, so that was the, one of the biggest things. And then disc, disc brakes were also a massive thing to be able to actually stop in control when it was raining and it was wet. It was pretty cool. Yeah, so that was the biggest change, I think, just having bikes that were designed to race downhill. They were pretty heavy and, and hefty, but they definitely made us be able to go a bit faster. Um, yeah. And then in more recent years, for me, it's been things like the dropper seat post has been incredible. And just the, the weight of bikes getting less and less, um, geometry changing. So you're much easier to race downhill on a, a bike with good geometry. So, so many things. But the early years was massive. Just having a bike with suspension and disc brakes was incredible. <laughs> You got your first Elite World Cup win in 2002 at Fort William. That day you became the first British woman to win an Elite Downhill World Cup. How was it to know that you had won a World Cup and made history? Um, awesome. And I think at the time, you probably it doesn't really sink in. And I think it's, it probably does as years gone by. I've appreciated it more and more. Um, I think it was so unexpected at the time from myself and everyone, everyone else around. Um, but it was, it was so special because it was the first ever race we, you know, downhill race we had in the UK, and, and Fort William then has become such an iconic venue and um, a track that I've been so successful on. It was, yeah, you don't really realise quite what you've achieved at the time, and it's only looking back that you can really appreciate it. And yeah, a piece of history is always a really nice thing to have. It's always going to be there. You won World Cups at Fort William in two thousand four, two thousand five, and two thousand six. What do you like about Fort William? I think it's just a bit of confidence comes from, you know, being successful, um, raising your game because it's a home race. The, the experience that, you know, that any British rider has racing down that course is, is something incredible and something that you, you can't ever, you know, appreciate or, or get anywhere else in the world. Having home fans and that, that track always, it's easy to get to the side of it. It's easy to lie. It's easy to see. It's quite, it's quite a, unusual track that it's all kind of man-made rock as well so I think that maybe yeah. suited my style that it was fast and you had to be strong um and yeah just I think the home advantage in many ways just having thousands of people willing me on to do well was always something that I always tried to rise to and was successful mm -hmm. at and I think success builds success often as well so really lucky to be able to do that. Did the support that you got change once you started winning some bigger races? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the in 2000, I got the opportunity to ride for, for Kona. Um, that that definitely changed things. I, you know, we had good sponsorship at the time, um, opportunities to travel and race more internationally. 
um, testing with different products, having sponsors that wanted to give us, you know, the newest suspension to test and newest equipment, having teammates to ride with that were super fast and talented. And, and there was so many you know, opportunities that, that do come along, but it's also not as plain sailing as that then that there comes the pressures of, you know, having to perform or expecting to perform regularly, um, the pressures of traveling a lot, having lots of different languages in the team. Um, and, and also the contracts aren't, they're not, you know, sometimes they're only one year at a time. So you have a year, you know, a good year, maybe. And then the following year, the sponsors disappear. So it's this very, um, what's the word, like just unknown that comes with sponsorship yeah. that you, it's not a guarantee for, for life. And it certainly is kind of a, a tough world sometimes when you've done really well, but then a team just disappears or there's no funding mm-hmm. anymore. So you kind of, it's always a bit of a roller coaster every then do every season to know if you can get a deal for next year, which, yeah, makes it hard at times too. In 2006, you won the Downhill World Cup overall series, getting a podium in every round and having three wins. What do you remember about that season? The thing I remember is winning the overall, actually, because it was, I'm pretty sure it was the same year that Steve Pete also won the overall. And that was a pretty cool thing to have two British riders winning an overall World Cup. Whereas, you know, in really up until that point, we weren't a dominant nation. France won everything. And mm. British riders, I think that was start at the start of the years where we became one of the strongest nations. So it was pretty special for us both to win at the same year. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's, you've reminded me that I, every race on the podium that's pretty cool if that wasn't the case um that consistency was always the hardest thing with downhill to get and therefore winning the world cup overall is was always a, a from a rider's perspective a really really important and prestigious thing to win um it never had that same kind of kudos as the rainbow jersey and the world champion but as a rider you being able to you know have a whole season where you were consistently up the, the top of your game was was really a, a cool thing i think to achieve and it was a big goal of mine to win to win that and the world championships together because I think that's a complete package then. In your career you've been British national four cross champion twice can you tell me about this and what four cross is? Yeah so four cross is um it's it's a bit like BMX on a mountain bike but with only four versus eight riders like a BMX um and I did a few I was never I never particularly loved jumping. It was one of those things that I kind of, when I first started racing downhill, there wasn't many jumps and it kind of evolved with the sport. And I was probably got a little bit left behind with that. And, you know, now if you can't jump, you may as well not bother racing downhill because it's such a huge part of the sport. But in the old days, we kept our wheels on the ground a lot more. So doing four cross was kind of a, one of the ways that I used to, to try and train and get better at, at jumping. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just enjoyed doing a few races. They fitted. A lot of riders that I've spoken to have had help from the BC programmes. What support did you get from British Cycling? Um, it, it's varied over the years, really. In the in the early days, a lot first started. They they had funding at that point for downhill as well as cross country. So there was I had a year, maybe two, where I had some funding to help to help train and to help my expenses a little bit of support from kind of nutrition and sports scientists. And then soon after that, they basically funded only Olympic disciplines. So downhill never received any support from, from British cycling, really. Um, every year, the world championships, they would, they would try and support us in some way. And it's, it's a tough one because it, it was never their decision as to where their money came from, but it was also awkward that we were doing so well as a sport and a discipline, but we, there was no funding or, or money available to support us. So it's always been quite a, 
a hard relationship, I think, for downhill and for all for non-Olympic sports, I would say, or disciplines within cycling, that it always seems quite unfair that the the, the support isn't equal across across all disciplines. So yeah, it's been and then but then in recent years I've worked for British Cycling as a technical coach when I re- retired with the cross-country team and I've traveled and trained with them a lot. Um and I've had lots to do with them since. So there's there's definitely, you know, there's pros and cons. There's there's also there's always um, politics within federations of any sport, I think, and it, it's hard to get the balance right. Um, and I just hope in the future they'll they'll see some more support for all disciplines and yeah. and not just the Olympics. Because for me, the Olympics is great, but there's so much more to sport than just the Olympic Games. And yeah. there's so many disciplines out there that people can enjoy and have a lot of fun with. So that's yeah. my hope. We'll see. I noticed that you did a lot of racing in Australia and New Zealand in 2008. Can you tell me about that time? Yeah, I had a big uh, off-season holiday in the sunshine. Um, <laughs> and it was, um, I guess it was, again, trying to improve my riding. It's summertime in Australia and New Zealand in our winter. So they have a really strong and healthy national series. So I basically spent one off-season just continuing to race and ride my bike. Um, the experience of riding different terrain, different courses, mm-hmm. um, and the opportunity to miss a British winter was um was really really nice <laughs> so it was a, a part part holiday part training and racing exercise and um yeah great memories from that trip uh 2010 was an incredible year for you you became the downhill world champion in Mont Saint Anne uh what did it mean to you to win that and what do you remember about that day um yeah amazing I think that was you know a lifelong career long kind of dream to, to finally win those win those rainbow stripes and it, it almost got to the point by that world that I felt like it, it was never going to be I'd been second quite a few times mm-hmm. fourth a few times um I love Monster and there was a course probably one of my favorite courses I used to love it every year but that day as well I remember it raining um overnight or even just before the race I can't remember but I remember being in the start start warming up and having the decision, decision to make as to whether I switched to the mud tires or stayed on dry tires and um I think that was to my benefit maybe that I enjoyed being able to adapt to the to the slippery conditions because I was obviously from the UK and, and grew up and riding in that stuff so I remember having one really sketchy moment um but managed to stay on and for some reason just everything clicked you know, on that day and it's hard to ever I don't know what why or what and if I'd realized that I would have done it years years before hopefully but um yeah, it, it was amazingly special. I mean, I still now think of the standing on the podium, putting a jersey on, looking down and seeing those rainbow stripes on your own chest is something yes. that you know, we'll never forget. Um, and yeah, super, super cool memories. And it was a, a a massive relief is probably the best way of describing it in many ways. It wasn't, it's like, it sounds crazy, but it's almost like there's not a huge celebration. It's almost like this inner, like, finally, I can have done that, picked it off the list. Um, and that's probably the biggest kind of overwhelming emotion at the time which sounds crazy but it's it is one of just a huge amount of relief and then I think you enjoy it more as the time goes on really rather than at that time sometimes. You won four rounds of the World Cup series the following year meaning you won the overall series again what was it like being able to race the World Cups in the Rainbow Stripes? Yeah it was amazing I pretty much wore the jersey every minute of the day I could um the only sad thing was that yeah I did so well that I ended up having to wear the leaders jersey which superseded mm. the world champ 
so I didn't actually get to, to race in the World Championship that much. Um, but I made the most of it the rest of the time. But yeah, I think it's just the confidence of finally achieving what I wanted to do it allowed me to then just ride my best that, that final year. And I think also in my mind, I'd already decided that was my final year of racing. Um, once I won Worlds, I knew that I was ready to, to move on to something else. I didn't, wasn't quite sure what that was, but um, for a few years, I'd been already contemplating finishing, but winning Worlds was still that thing that was driving me to, yeah. to keep uh, trying. So, yeah, that was a really, really special year and cool to be able to, to win the series as well. And then in 2012, you started to do more enduro. Can you tell me about your move of discipline and how you got more into enduro? Yeah, I think it was two reasons, really. One was um, my husband now, at the time we met probably in 2006 or seven. he came from more of a cross-country background and we started riding bikes together a lot more, you know, and fitness became more part of my riding. I was enjoying riding a bike uphill at this point. Um, and I also was at the point where I'd been traveling to the same venues for Dan for so many years. And I was kind of, in a way, bored of just riding in one track when I traveled half around the world when I knew there was like all these other amazing trails on this hillside, I was like, why can't we yeah. go and ride? More? Um, and that was the big driving factor for me as I wanted to ride my bike more, I wanted more bike time. I wanted to yeah, challenge myself in a new way. Um, and Enduro was kind of happening in Europe at that time, but the Enduro World Series wasn't. Um, but I kind of wanted to go and explore what that was. And that's kind of how that 2012 year evolved into me racing a little bit of everything, just having a go and seeing what was next. Mm -hmm. And then, Ultimately, the EWS emerged in 2013, which was just perfect timing. Certainly not planned. That was just super lucky that all happened at that time. You still did a couple of downhill World Cups that year and the downhill World Champs in the Gang. Any memories from your 2012 downhill season? Um, yeah, one that I wished I hadn't bothered was probably the best way of describing it. I think it was like I didn't quite know how to stop and I felt like oh, I'll just do a few to keep my hand yeah. in there but my heart really wasn't in it that year at all um I ended up crashing at one of them not even qualifying breaking some ribs and then worlds I just yeah I, I was ready to have moved on but still kind of had said I would do it so um I do remember a young Tani Seagrave though racing her first worlds there and her being in, in tears not doing very well and having a good chat with her and that was quite nice to be there for that but um yeah I think for me I I'd already moved on in my mind, but definitely didn't give it my best shot for downhill that year. Having just jumped on a downhill bike at those three three events, um, yeah, it was a bit of an afterthought, really. In 2013, you focused a lot more on enduro and you won five of the seven World Enduro Series races and you also became World Enduro Champion. That must have been an incredible year for you. Yeah, it, it was amazing because it was it was so new. I think the first race was pretty special when we all turned up at the first EWS. Like there was riders from from downhill backgrounds, from cross country backgrounds, from people that had just done enduro, and it was very it was really cool because it was like no one quite knew how this was going to evolve, who was going to win, who was going to be the strongest. So to end up winning that first ever race and then to go on to 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 win the series in the first ever year was was really cool because I had no no concept of whether that was possible or, or where I would kind of fit I guess in the hierarchy of riders that were doing the racing then um but for me I think it, if if it was to say probably that's my most enjoyable season ever um because it was something new James and I my husband 
well, the husband then, but we basically traveled the entire year in our camper van. We we're our own little team, just the two of us. He was my mechanic. He also raced. Um, and it was, yeah, an incredible year. Probably one that I look back on as with the, with the fondest memories because it was just, it was new. It was fun. It was exciting. There was no pressure. There was no team. It was just, yeah, us riding bikes, having fun and super successful. Yeah. You were World Enduro Champion in 2014 and 2015 as well. You also won a lot of the World Enduro Series races in both of these years. What was it like being the dominant rider of these massive races? Yeah, it was amazing because I really kind of I felt like I found my sport, I guess, in many ways. It was kind of weird. Like, obviously, I was really successful at downhill, but I sometimes never felt that I, I'd given my best run on that one race format that is downhill racing um I was never able to kind of ride a, above my limit and maybe take the risks that I probably needed to 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 go faster I was probably a bit always a bit too cautious and calculated and I think with enduro I was able to you needed some you didn't practice the course as much so you had to ride on instinct you never kind of you couldn't ride 100% because you didn't know what was around the corner some of the racing was blind back in those days as well so you didn't get a chance to even practice um and I think it, it just suited my riding and I absolutely loved it. And it felt like, doesn't sound, this sounds arrogant, but it, it definitely not meant to be. It, it felt easy in many ways because it just, it was just me riding my bike. I wasn't really yeah. thinking about it. I was definitely training hard than I'd ever trained. And I was finally realized what training meant. Um, and I was now looking back, I was, I was really fit. I didn't realize at the time. Now I kind of wish oh, if only I had a tiny bit of that fitness would be amazing. Um, but yeah, it was, those were incredible years for me and certainly my they, they just happened without really any planning because the sport was evolving and I was evolving and it seemed to suit my strengths which was awesome. In 2016 you decided to retire what made you make that decision? Um, I was getting old I had a want-to-be husband that wanted to uh, to settle down and do normal stuff and I decided if we wanted to have a family, I needed to get, get cracking. Otherwise, I would be too old. Um, lots of reasons, I guess. And also, I think in many ways, I'd been, after I finished racing downhill, I'd never expected to kind of to get back to that level of racing a World Series in Enduro. That all kind of came about without, again, planning. And I always wanted to finish on, on top, I guess, of you know, being successful without mm. you know, injury marring my days or me leaving it too long and you know, falling from grace, I guess you could say. So I kind of wanted to make sure I, I stopped before it was too late. Or um, <clears throat> So yeah, lots of factors, but all kind of felt like it was the right time. What did you want to focus on once you had retired? Um, I made myself like have a year of transitioning, I think, just because I felt like just go from that, but that I racing my bike, which I've done for the last 15 years, would be quite hard to suddenly stop so I still did a few races in 2016 I was still involved doing some technical coach work with British Cycling and I still kind of kept involved and raced but just not at the level and the expectations of you know it being my full-time job um and again I've, I've not been and I'm still not particularly good at like planning out what life is going to you know what the next stage of life is and I was just kind of working out what was going to be next I think we knew we wanted to have a family so that was obviously a focus that would happen at some point um so yeah it was just a bit a year out and then then pretty much it was what would have been 2017 and then yeah Toby was born in, in 2018 so I, I did even spend quite a bit of the 
2017 season with a pregnant with no one knowing still doing quite a bit of work on my bike and and even racing a little bit um so yeah then I really had to stop in 2018. (laughs) Across your whole career how have you seen enduro and downhill bikes evolve in this period of time? Yeah I mean we spoke about that briefly earlier but just hugely I mean technology has driven the sport to where we're at now and to the the fact that cross-country bikes now are the normal is a full suspension cross-country bike with dropper seat posts, with disc brakes, with, you know, knobbly wide tyres. That would have been an incredible downhill bike in the early days. So you can just see how, how things evolved and technology with, you know, e-bikes coming into it. And then even like wireless shifting, you know, Bluetooth dropper seat posts, just so much stuff that I would, you know, I'm not a great techie person in any way. So stuff that I would never have imagined. And even the wheel size thing for me, I was one of the first to, start racing in 29er for enduro which people thought was crazy and I took a while to embrace that so um there's so many other things that have happened that I would never have ever dreamed of so I can't imagine what bikes are going to look like in another 20 years time It'd be quite cool to see. <laughs> now let's talk about Timo racing how did you start Timo and did it start off as a team with other riders or was it just an individual team that you created? Yeah, so it was, I kind of created it because I needed some identity or a team, really, because when I finished racing down in 2011, um, Trek, kind of US, I guess, as the global company, um, they really weren't interested in continuing to sponsor me because I wasn't going to be racing on a world level. But Trek UK were still really keen for me to be involved in some ways. They said, well, you need to kind of create a brand or a team or something. And I racked my brains for a while and it was more because um steve pete used to always call me timo as a nickname short for tracy mosley um and someone just said hey that that would work quite quite well so it just was like something a name that i could be associated with and that i could race under really for that 2012 years that's how it started um and quickly i realized then that there was kind of there was an opportunity there for me to help out some young riders and it was it started off a little bit with because um, I was already working with British Cycling, there was a few young cross-country riders there that were that needed some sponsors that they were on the British Cycling programme, but they couldn't get bikes through the programme. So one of the coaches, hey, hey, can you help out? And it was actually Alice Barnes was the first, one of the first riders that I helped. She's now on the road. So it kind of evolved from there and then continued to be a home for me, I guess, my racing, and then started working with the, the young youngsters from my home club, which was Evie and then Hattie. Um, and then it's evolved to being people's based with the Carrick Andersons, and, <laughs> and then and Jaden, who actually was from home originally from our club, he then moved to people as well, bizarrely. So um, it's now become. It was always planned to be like a more of a local grassroots thing for me, so that I could manage or not manage, but like be able to ride with the riders and have more kind of mentorship input. But then it just so happens they've all now moved to Scotland, so it's kind of changed its dynamic a little bit. But um, yeah, it's. It's a funny thing because I feel like so many people feel like it's a much bigger program than it is. And it, 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 they, the guys that have been on it have done incredibly well. And I feel like I've been really quite fortunate that there's been, there is input from me, <clears throat> from me for sure. But it still is very much a grassroots team where they get bikes on loan, they get back at the end of the year, they get a very minimal amount of kit and they go off and race bikes with a few expenses. And that's in some ways, there's a reason why I never really have grown it more than that because I didn't want it to become a, a stressful kind of, team with expectations it was very much something that was it's manageable and it's 
yeah a grassroots entry level with lots of extra support and opportunities that I can I can bring without making it fancy and big that's kind of where it's at at the minute who knows whether it will stay there or change I actually don't really know right now (laughs) see how it evolves over the recent years with Timo there have been some amazing results are there any that stand out to you and make you proud um yeah I mean I think for the for both Hattie and Evie both coming from my local club it's been pretty cool to see them go from just youngsters that literally jumped on bikes in our local woods to to both winning um you know world stage events last year Hattie with an Enduro World Series win which was pretty cool because actually she was the next person after me the British to win a Enduro World Series so it was like kind of completed that circle and was was really quite cool for that to happen and then for Evie to go on to win world champs last year as well was was amazing you know from our little town of Oldham to, to have that success um and to have kind of been part of that journey over the years was um was really really special to see so yeah last year was a, a good one to be able to kind of see the progress and see what's possible from some local girls how have you balanced being a mum to your son with running your team um I'm not sure I do particularly well it's always it's a constant battle um no it's it's been good I do I do find it hard I think anyone who's a mum would would definitely agree that I think it's it's harder than I ever imagined and I think traveling's been the hardest thing that I've that I do now I mean I've barely been away and this four days I'm away now it feels like every trip's a bit of a rush to get home and minimal time away which which makes it tough um but at the same time it's been a really amazing opportunity to be able to travel with him as well and for him to experience some of the trips that we've done and, and the the summers that we've had at bike races and to be immersed in and this world it's it's really cool opportunity for him so it's certainly not easy my my fitness and my desire um but what I do in terms of fitness and my desire what I'd like to do are very different um so it's a bit of just cramming stuff in as and when but I mean I can already see that uh, he starts school in September so I'll have some time starts to, to come back um and I know it's I, I totally have chosen to kind of be very much a stay-at-home mum that's looked after him and not sent him off to to nursery every day of the week because I wanted to enjoy him and that was the reason we've had a had a child to be there and enjoy it so it's been uh, yeah it's definitely been tricky but it's been really really rewarding sorry there's a motorbike revving out there (laughs) I know that you also work with track factory racing can you tell me about how you became involved yeah so when I finished racing, I kind of started working as a, an ambassador for Trek. So I was going and doing trips to all different places in the UK, around the world, doing talks, doing rides, doing kind of clinics for women's coaching and stuff. And then, then I became pregnant and I, then they asked me if I would take on a bit of a logistics role for the enduro team. Cause obviously that was the last team I'd, I'd ridden for as well. So I started doing all the travel and logistics for the enduro team um, whilst I was pregnant. And then it, it kind of, it then evolved really in 20. 19 trek took kind of management of their downhill cross-country and enduro teams like all in-house so they then wanted a group of people to help manage those three teams um and i became one of those people to help with enduro mainly and then it's evolved more into cross-country as well over the last few years um so i did lots of kind of organizing and planning for those teams uh work closely with the athletes to help uh, make sure they got what they want and they're happy um i do some on course riding with them at races um and just in general yeah one of the management group that helps try and run those teams and 
does all sorts airport runs food shopping whatever's needed <laughs> so um, yeah how was your life affected by covid and how did you adjust to a different way of working because of lockdown um to, on a personal level it, it it sounds crazy but it was an incredible time because we were at home um fortunate enough to live on a farm with a lot of outside space so we basically had an amazing time with, with toby as a family um i got quite fit again because <laughs> i was riding my bike lots um for work perspective it was a nightmare um because there was so much uncertainty with travel uh there was so much extra paperwork trying to get athletes two races still within the remits of the rules that changed every five seconds um yeah it was, it was pretty stressful and it was very hard and probably doubled my workload in many ways um and it was hard on the athletes trying to keep you know morale keep the team together we had lots of you know online teams calls trying to you know keep everyone connected um and it was hard you know i think and for the athletes even more so you know to, to not know when their next race for what they were training for in some ways so yeah it was definitely tough but in also in some ways i think for an athlete like Hattie, it was an incredible opportunity for her to have her first full-time year as a full-time athlete out of school without any expectations to race or travel. So she basically put a solid six months of training in and I think made a huge step in terms of her progression of fitness because she had the opportunity to basically be home-based and follow a training program for six months. So I think it's been lots of benefits as well as obviously all the huge amounts of negatives that people have experienced. So it's been a yeah an interesting two years how did it feel to be back at races at the end of 2020 and uh, was it different yeah it definitely it was definitely different initially I think there was you lose a lot of the social element of of bike racing when you can't go and just chat with people randomly without a mask on your face um the paperwork that you have to do to travel was just relentless um, time consuming it took away the enjoyable nature of traveling certainly for me anyway um, it did feel like an arduous job and it was and it was ridiculously expensive to travel because the testing was so expensive and rigorous um, and even the races themselves were they just lost like you know, no spectators at quite a few of them it, it's not the same feeling um, that you, you get cycling and mountain biking such a social kind of friendly sport that it's it's hard not to have that social interaction with fans and with the public um so yeah it's it's definitely been an interesting couple of years and hopefully we're slowly getting somehow back to normal um which will be great for everyone i think so i've spoken to a few of your riders on the podcast and they've all spoken really highly of you it seems like you have a really great bond with all of your riders that you work with oh, that's very nice of them all um yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I've wanted just to do is to be able to, you know, give back a little bit from the sport that's given me so much. Um, and, um, yeah, I really enjoy being able to help out in any way that I can. And I think in many ways as well, it's working with the younger athletes has, has kept me kept me young. It's kept me, it's given me a motivation to try and stay fit, stay in touch with the sport, um, stay knowledgeable. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to have help from an, um, professional elite athlete back in my day so um, it feels like it's just me completing returning the, the favour and completing the circle which is I really really enjoy it. In 2021 you went out to some of the World Cups to support the track factory racing girls 
can you tell me a bit more about this? Yeah, so that's part of my kind of role is um, is being at some of the races to be on course to help the girls with some of the lines, cross-country technical coaching, um, and just to help with the day-to-day, making sure everyone's trying to create a, you know, a, a good environment where everyone's happy, they're taken care of, they've got what they need, um, keep the vibe good, and that's been so yeah selected again, depending on how much time I'm, I can escape from home that James and my husband husband and Toby allow. Um, I've been to yeah a number of races and at the same this year I'll be at a select few again um and it's yeah I love I love being back at the races it's kind of like feels like it's I live two lives almost home mum life and then being back at the races life is like a separate world it seems like nothing's changed and then I go home it's definitely changed um so yeah it's fun it's a really really a great team to be involved with we've got a really good bunch of athletes now and to, to have a, an Olympic and a world champion feels like we've we've had you know an incredible last season um and probably one of the one of the best teams in the world now which is really cool part to be part of yeah at last year's mountain bike world championships in Val de Sol you competed in the e-bike race and finished eighth what was it like competing in a world championships again and how was the e-bike race different to downhill and enduro it was it was super fun it was literally a last minute decision to go and do it because I knew I was going to be there with work anyway um I really hadn't trained for it I wasn't in good shape so I suffered <clears throat> big time even on e-bike you'll be surprised they still don't just take you up the hills sadly um but it, it was fun it was it, it's an interesting f- format I feel like you know e-bikes are an amazing <clears throat> amazing place they give opportunities to people that you know would never necessarily be able to ride or ride with people that they wouldn't be able to ride with and there's so many amazing benefits of them and racing, I think still, I still think we're evolving how e-bike racing works. Um, and I think, yeah, the World Champs was was definitely a cool thing to be part of. And I, I still think it's it's going to change. I think racing the same course as the normal cross-country bikes was a little bit bizarre. Didn't necessarily showcase just how much you can do on an e-bike, um, but it still provided some some great racing and some good entertainment. And I think it's again, it's it's just part of this evolution of the sport and, and, and where it goes and what's next I think we'll look back and see the worlds and how they've evolved their e-bike and change quite a bit over the next few years hopefully. I know you're a big fan of e-bikes what's it been like to see them grow in popularity over the past few years? It's been it's been so cool and I think in so many uses for them like just I use mine more to take Toby my little boy to to nursery and to on adventures he's got a little seat in the front and we've used it so much and that's something that I would never have done as much if I'd had to physically power 20 kilogram lump sitting on a seat in front of me on the bike um before an e-bike so it's brought us together and done so many adventures as family and um, the ability to ride with, like with my my dad or someone like that for example that you would never normally get out on a bike and just the people that I've I've seen that have, have kind of been able to appreciate bikes where it takes you the great outdoors that kind of thing that would not have been able to for whatever reason ill health fitness I think there's <clears throat> there's so many amazing things I think it's also it has some pretty bad press and people have pretty big haters of e-bikes too it's definitely divided and I think that's it's justified in many ways because some people don't ride them respectfully and don't necessarily be careful of where they ride and the speeds they're riding and there's lots of ways in which people are using them which I don't necessarily agree with so I do think there's as I said there's lots of kind of evolving to be done with e-bikes the sport 
um, and people using them in a sustainable and, and a, a thoughtful way, I guess, I think is the most important thing. Do you plan to do much racing this year? Um, not hugely, no. That's one thing I wanted to like not add to my list is precious to actually compete in, in that much. I probably definitely, I definitely will still race at some point, I'm sure, because I love racing, but I've not given myself any specific kind of plans or targets that I feel like I have to be at. So it'll be very much on a, when I feel like I want to, or if I feel like I'm fit enough to do something, I'll, I'll be there, but there's no, no grand plans. Where do you see Timo racing in the next few years? I really don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually have no plans for it at the moment. I'm going to see what evolves and the, the riders that come along. Um, I think there's, yeah, life is is busy enough for me at the moment with with other things going on. So it's it's going to be, it's still be there, but maybe just a background kind of thing at the moment until either I have time or I really want to do something more with it. What's your favourite race you've ever done? Um, probably the Trans-Provence. So the six-day enduro race in the French Alps has probably been one of my all-time favourites just because of the, the places that you go, um, the blind nature of the racing, the, the terrain, just, yeah, just awesome. Is there a place that you would like to ride that you haven't ridden yet? Yes, um, loads of places. I think um, probably one of them would be South America, like more into the south of Chile. I've done a little bit of racing in Chile, but some of the, the scenery in south of Chile looks incredible. Um, oh, and there's there's so many. I, I still love to travel in the park explore more places anyway I mean even the Alps you have to go far there's tons of incredible places to ride today I've just been this is a new place to me after all these years to come to a new race venue I still get a real enjoyment from going to new places where's your favorite place to ride for fun um I still love coming home riding on the Malvern Hills it's not a particularly fun in terms of it's painful because it's lots of ups and ups to get up there but there's something nice about traveling the world and then coming home and having that on your doorstep I think that's always pretty special um but my probably all-time favorite is the Swiss Alps just because of the I just love the big mountains and the natural single track and yeah the the kind of the non-man-made trail just like natural walking trails that just a really cool technical challenge and they take you into some places where like not many people go to it's amazing who's your favorite current rider Mm, that's a hard one too because there's so many kind of characters out there but I think I would say I've just I've been a huge fan of you know multi-discipline riding and racing and how important that is so I think the the generation of the the Woot Van Arts the Vanderpols and the Tom Pidcocks like that that's been a huge inspiration I think and it will be to a whole generation of of riders just to show that um, you can mix mix it up at the highest level in, in disciplines like that. And I think I'd really love to see the battle of those guys and the standard that they bring into the sport. It's been super exciting to watch over the last couple of seasons. And who's your favourite rider of all time? Um, I still, so back when we first spoke about that first race I ever did in France, and caroline Chausson, who was French 10-time world champion. And I think when I first started racing, she was she was the only girl that just like, could jump and had the style of almost like this, you know, 
this probably sounds very sexist this day and age, but she did just look like a boy on a bike. And for me, that's still, if someone says I look like a boy on a bike, that's a good thing. <laughs> and that's something that you be proud of. And she, um, she had the style and the skill way before any of the other girls did. And that was someone that, um, and then for me to get to race against her in my world enduro years, it was an incredible privilege to kind of, for me, race what felt like someone that was one of my heroes at the start and um, to be battling with her. And I felt like we both raised our game massively in those years to, to try and win those races. And it was, yeah, for me to be even beating her then was just an amazing feeling. It's pretty cool. What's your advice for young riders? I think the most important thing is make sure it is always fun. It has to be as much as possible. Yeah, training doesn't always necessarily be fun, but the reasons you're out there and the reasons you're riding needs to be because it's fun. Um, and I think as well, the more the more you can focus on a, a, a wide range of skills, sports, and don't necessarily feel like you have to hone into one thing so soon. I think that's also a really, really important thing that, you know, you're not necessarily, not everybody is going to end up being a champion of the sport and not everyone's going to do it at the same time. So you might be a slow burn that takes years to get there, or you might be someone that's super successful at the start, but it, it really doesn't matter. Everyone's different. I don't think we should always, you know, if you haven't achieved in the first few years of trying, then it doesn't mean to say that you're never going to. So mm. always got to keep having a goal out there and work hard towards it. You've got five minutes before you head down to the start of a race. What's on your playlist to get you motivated? Yeah, I did read that one. I was like, well, how am I going to answer this? Because I am the world's worst with music. Um, <laughs> I don't even have music on my phone. I don't have a playlist. But I did, but ironically, I did have music at the time when I won World Champs. I had this, went through this phase. And I thought when I read it earlier, I was thinking, I'm going to try and remember the song is, but I honestly can't. But I had like a few songs that were like, and if I was to hear them now, I'd be like, oh, that was my like warm up song. But I'm such a rubbish person with music. I wouldn't be able to tell you who it was, <laughs> the artist. Or the, or the song um I'm very much a, like radio on in the background person and I sing along to anything that I can sing along to um rubbish with music so apologies for that one thank you so much for taking the chance to speak with me today Tracy no worries you're welcome thank you to Tracy for being on and a massive thank you to her for giving me the chance to say hi to one of my absolute heroes Yolanda Neff I might have interviewed one of your cycling heroes. Make sure to check out all episodes of the podcast to find out. They're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, my Buzzsprout website or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love it if you would give me a follow on social media. On Instagram, I'm at cycling.talk.podcast and I'm the same on Facebook and also check me out on the GCN app. See you on the bike.